Come one, come all. It is time for the hashtag Racing Family Show in our very first episode of Clear-ish. little play on my co-host Chris Wheeler. The fine spotter that he is. Someone who likes to give his drivers the message that they're all clear. Sometimes, eh, more clearish than clear. But nonetheless, here we are. A Thursday episode of the Hashtag Racing Family Show. Brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers in TorontoMotorsports.com. We have our man, Mr. Mister Wheeler. He will indeed be leading the show I think I'm just going to be a monkey who does my best to help if needed. I can say, Chris, with great pride, you're not the only spotter in this relationship. I can claim on my IndyCar record to have one race, the 1999 Walt Disney World 200 IRL race, where I served as a spotter for my pal Steve Knapp. I think he was the 98 Indy 500 Rookie of the Year, maybe 99, whatever it was. Um, our team didn't qualify, which is kind of a crazy thing to consider at Walt Disney frickin' world. And so with nothing to do on Sunday and loving dear Uncle Steve, who's driving for a rather underfunded team, uh, I stood atop turn one and spotted. And uh, so, yes, I have one race of spotting experience. Therefore, I mean, I have so much to add to this conversation. Hey, man, it only takes one race to know what you're doing. Well, I only did one, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm just going to shut up for the most part here. Uh, We already have a legend on the show, Earl Barbin. Welcome, brother. Unmute yourself. Say hello, Uh, Chris. I'm just going to be in the background as much as possible and facilitate this is your show this is clearish christopher wheeler a bunch of amazing spotters from nascar indycar imsa all over the place i can't wait hey marshall thanks a lot and hey chris what's up what's up big earl i'm just uh completely i'm so proud of myself that i actually got this to work i was i called you three times today wondering how i was supposed to get this to 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 work and uh i'm my uh i'm, I'm gonna be listening to you all the time now man it's awesome and you know a shameless plug we do have a show every monday at 8 p.m eastern time uh 5 p.m pacific time maybe a little bit earlier too depending on the week maybe, so but yeah we're in there maybe earlier of course um and uh, we've got David Hunt has now joined us. Robbie Fast will be with us at some point. He uh, might be stuck in Portland traffic. I've also invited our buddy, the mayor, James Hinchcliffe, to speak because I know he's got some great, funny spotterisms from his career. Um, you know, Freddie Kraft, he's going to join us here at some point, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Mr. Hunt, unmute yourself. Welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, you got me? Uh, loud and clear. How about spotter. that? I was a little late to the game. I figured I better make a good drink for this one. Yeah, it's funny. We had a group chat, Marshall, and David's like, man, my only preparation is just curious if it's three or four margaritas pre-show. Look, I got to give uh, good old Davey Hunt a big old hug in the Texas paddock last weekend. So I would say uh, job done. (laughs) Uh, Challenge accepted, Hinch. 
uh, and then job done. So I'm using a hinge and Takuma. I'm using, blending two sayings here. So uh, I'm in really good shape. Uh, Mr. Mayor, by the way, nine-year anniversary by coincidence of your first IndyCar race today. Tell us about that, champ, because, man, it sure was fun being there, watching it, shooting it. And uh, when that memory popped up on my little Facebook page, I said I got to take that photo and share it with the world. You make me feel old, man. Thanks for sharing that with everybody. Nine years ago is a long time, but uh, hell of a day down in St. Pete. One of the best events there is. was a very cool one to win. You know, it was Dan's hometown and, and Dan's car, as far as I was concerned. It was great that his whole family was there. My whole family was there. It was uh, it was a fun one. Keep an old uh, Elio Castro knife edge behind me for the last couple laps there. I can't believe it's been nine years. I know, right? It's ridiculous. I, I love the fact that with the little Twitter thing that's been going on since yesterday on, have any of you named pets or children after your favorite race car driver? Hinch, my favorite thing that I learned is somebody named their pet hermit crab Elio Crabaneves. That, that's, <laughs> that's just going to be, that's just never going to be topped. So... <laughs> Oh boy. Oh boy. There's a lot of dogs named after your uh off track with with Hinch and Rossi co-host Alexander Rossi. Like a lot of dogs. Like a surprising number of dogs named Rossi. Um I don't I don't know how I should feel about that. Well, I know how he probably feels about it. Well, he's grumpy about everything, so that's yeah, a little he predictable. Just, but... He just doesn't. He just doesn't yeah. feel. Yeah, sometimes I got to remind him to insert the human emotion chip, and then he's just fine. But uh, who else do we have here? We have our pal Tim Durham, your super producer. I did see lurking for a moment, but then he left Hinch, your former super producer, Brian Simpson. So got a lot of pals jumping in. Uh, Mr. Wheeler, uh, it's all yours. Do you want to fire it yeah. off and get uh, yeah. talking? Yeah. I- I got to say, uh, Earl, it's, I'm glad you're here because I have a feeling you're going to raise our viewership by the masses. As I look through our follower list right now, I see a whole lot of people with like 48 in their name or a 48 photo as a profile photo. Man, you're a big deal. Well, well I, I don't know. I'm just, uh, to be real honest with you, I'm just trying to get over the fact that uh, the James Hinchcliffe's on here and I'm getting to talk to him. Uh, I never have it. I just wanted to say a shout out to him. So. Uh, this is fantastic uh, and, and a great, uh, looks like you have a great following and it sounds like it's going to be a good show here. So I can't wait and, and go 48 fans. Appreciate the shout out brother and great job in Texas, by the way, man, I'll tell you what I, I have, uh, I've spotted a lot of races and uh, I can assure you that I, I felt like uh, that race was uh, the most relieved, the most uh, expected, the most uh, everything for him. Uh, it was an emotional day afterwards to, you know, the, the hype and to, and hoping that everything was going to go well and, and for Jimmy to, to run as, as well as he did and finish sixth. And, and actually, you know, I was reading a post about how many passes and how many passes in the top 10. And, you know, he was, uh, he had to, uh, you know, uh, look twice to, he actually passed Dixon and, and he thought that was pretty exciting. He got passed back, but, uh, he was uh, very, very excited, and uh, I, I was very, very happy for him. It was a fun day, for sure. Man, I was so bummed watching because, obviously, we were lapped down, and we were right there close to you guys at the end. And I was like, dude, Double J's going for the top five. And then I saw Dixon pass him like two to go, and I'm like, what a dick. Like, what are you doing, man? 
Well, this guy is having that, a killer day. Why? Why are we doing this right now? That's that wasn't the adjective that I used, but I was like, <laughs> oh man, couldn't he have just let us have a fifth? But uh, hey, that's not in any of their DNAs. Obviously, uh, um, if somebody was, uh, we we would pass them uh, just as bad, or just we'd want to pass them just as much as uh, we got passed. So, and you know what? You hey, you don't want to be given something. So I think he's uh, done a great job, and it's exciting to see. And I hope it uh, gives him a lot of confidence for the up and coming events, you know, Long Beach and and the rest of them. And uh, and really excited about getting to Iowa and St. Louis and and especially excited about, uh, you know, spotting for Jimmy Johnson and his uh, first uh, Indianapolis 500. That's that's going to have to be uh, that's going to have to be one of the top things on his list. So uh, I'm excited to be a part of that. So that's one thing that I think you're going to have to learn, Earl, when we get to the Speedway. Wait, did you do the 500 last year with Ganassi? No, I did. I, I spotted Tony Kanaan. It was, uh, it was, uh, that was my very first time, so it was really, really exciting. All right, good. So we don't have to explain to you that, you know, there's kind of like a pecking order on the turn one stand. So I, I forgot you were there. It's all good. You're going to be in a good spot. But Well, I, I was spotting in, the, uh, in turn three last year, so I'll have to, you know, obviously uh, I follow uh, – uh, Lee and Mark Gregory and uh, and Robbie Fast and you around all the time to try to figure out where I'm supposed to go spotting. That's uh, uh, every race is new for me, so uh, I'll be just tagging along with you. You just show me where I need to sit and uh, spot from at the at the 500. Well, turn one's turn one's great because, um, well, honestly, we have an elevator and shade during practice days, so that's the key. We have our own private restrooms. Turn three, that's for the young guys. They got to walk up the stairs. There's no shade. There's no restrooms. So. Turn one's where it's at. It's where us uh, more confident and honestly lazier guys like to go. But um, yeah, we got a good group in here. Freddie Kraft, man, welcome to the show. What's up? For those that don't know, Freddie, a true legend, okay, of multiple things. It doesn't matter if he's at the Chili Bowl or he's at a, a NASCAR race or, you know, the Lake Norman Tavern. He's uh, kind of a legend. Uh, Earl's the only legend in here. So this is kind of cool. So we've got Freddie, who's you know full time on the Cup stuff. We've got Earl, who's done the Cup stuff, championships, thanks to 101 wins, on the Cup side. Now he's doing the IndyCar stuff. David Hunt here, he's with Colton Hurd in IndyCar. He's done Xfinity, I think maybe a Cup race or two on the road courses. He's done some truck stuff. He's also in race control for IMSA. And when Robbie Fast pops back in, he's with Scott Dixon in the nine. Um, pretty good group. So I'm going to start it off with David Hunt. First kind of lead-in question that I had for all of you guys is where did you get what was your first opportunity to get on the spotter stand oh man mine was total serendipity to be honest I back in 2008 as you remember Wheeler um, at that time I owned an Indy Lights team and we were we were at Nashville Speedway and our spotter couldn't make it and we were running our program pretty lean back in those days and didn't have a lot of people. So I was the only choice to go up top. And that was kind of my first taste of, of being on the roof. And, you know, I never I never anticipated, you know, ended up being any good at that. But, you know, what I found was there, there were a lot of drivers, as you know, through the junior categories of open wheel racing that were coming from different countries that did not have oval racing. So I kind of found a little niche where I'm an old school, you know, dirt midget and sprint car guy. I understand oval racing pretty well. So I kind of carved out a niche for myself, really kind of coaching some of those kids 
to teach them how to time their passes and run an oval and change the lines and all that good stuff. So just through the years, it just kind of culminated with doing the Indy 500, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago now, and just kind of took off from there. Man, I feel, you know, James was talking about nine years ago, his first one in IndyCar, and I'm looking back to the first time you were up there. That Man, it's been a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been at it a hot minute here. <clears throat> um, what about you, Freddie? What uh, what got you your start? Uh, I just grew up in racing, man. My dad uh, my dad raced growing up. He ran, He's a multi-time figure eight champion, believe it or not, at uh, Riverhead Raceway. So I grew up at the racetrack every Saturday night. And then uh, – Raced a little bit myself when I was, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. Didn't didn't really have the money or time to put into it. So I kind of just started working on some guys' cars. And uh, from there, just felt like I wanted to be part of the race more so than just helping out the shop, helping out the track, and then send the car on the racetrack and watch it. So a buddy of mine, Jared Hayes, he moved up to uh, the late model class at our local track, and they actually use spotters. So he's like, yeah, why don't you do it? So I, that's, that's how I started doing it. And I kind of just worked my way up the ladder from there. Uh, went from the, my local home track to to the local modified series, Whalen Modified Tour. Uh, from there, I got hooked up with Bubba uh, 12 years ago, actually to this day. Uh, so we went K&N Basin and we won our first race out. I've been stuck with him ever since. And then kind of just worked my way up the ladder. Kind of knew that I had to get cup experience before Bubba got there. Um, so that they would hire me, you know, to, 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 to do Bubba with some experience. So, um, Tommy Baldwin was the one that gave me my first break 2014. I think it was spotting for Michael Lynette in the seven car. Uh, Tommy was somebody I grew up with, um, him and my dad are really good friends. So it was just a natural fit there. And then just kind of follow Bubba along until he's made it to the cup series now. And, and we're still working together here 12 years later. Freddie, it's Marshall. I gotta know. Do spotters exist? in figure eight racing because i think it would just be screaming the whole time so my dad never had one uh growing up they really didn't have radios i guess a lot and i went back i don't know not that long ago my cousin my dad still owns a car and my cousin drives it and he's like why don't you spot and i'm like man i wouldn't even know where to begin how to spot a figure eight race like <laughs> i don't want to tell you to go or not go and you end up getting killed at the intersection or something like that. I'm out. Like, I don't want I don't want no part of that. Plus, the beer stand was open. So it was just way better for me to watch, I think. I like your life choices here, brother. You, you, you've gone down the right path. Man, Freddie, this is a day of anniversaries. 12 years with you and Bubba to the day. Nine years to the day, James Hinscliffe, who's just above you on my screen. First IndyCar win. It's a celebration day here in the special edition of Hashtag Racing Family. Yeah. Um, Marshall knows the story and a couple people might, but you know, my family grew, I grew up, my family did all the, the stickers and graphics in IndyCar. And, um, so from about seven, six, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there, I was tugged around all summer long and I grew up at the racetrack. Um, you know, we'd get to the track in the mornings, mom would give you 10 bucks. You'd hit Graham Ray Hall and I would hit, um, Newman Haas's hospitality for breakfast, you know, Ray Hall's for lunch. And maybe we'd sneak into Pinsky if nobody was around and, you had about an hour after the last session to get back to my where my parents worked out of out of the cart trailer or whichever series it was at the time, and then you left. And I was I want to say I was like eleven years old, and we ran Chicago in Chicago, um, not Chicago Land Speedway that we all know, but it was a horse track converted to a racetrack that Chip Ganassi was involved in. And Marsh uh, was it Mike Shank? Yeah, it was Mike Shank owned. I'm trying to think, Marsh would have been 
USF 2000 cars back then or just two liter cars, whatever they called it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the F 2000 or yeah, it wasn't quite USF 2000, but yeah, the formula 2000 championship. Yeah. And so Mike Shank spotters were a thing, but they weren't a thing yet. Like you didn't have one per car. So Mike went up there with a radio where he could change between each car and talk to him. And he invited me up there and I got up there and thought, wow, this is wild. And so here we are years later, but the big question, big girl, what was it like back in the early days of spotting, my man? Because I feel like you were there from day one. Earl invented the radio. I just figured out how to turn my mic back on. So <laughs> he was riding a dinosaur. Is that what you're trying to say here, Wheeler? Come on, man. Oh, you know, it was uh, it was it was good. You know, I actually didn't start spotting until 2000 uh, for Rusty Wallace. So. Uh, I started like, uh, I started in, uh, 88, I guess, uh, with Penske building all the show cars and souvenir trailers and things like that. And then when he started the cup team, he moved me to Charlotte to, uh, drive the transporter and be the research and development mechanic. And, and, um, and then the next year I was a gas man for four years, I guess, and stopped driving the truck in 97. And I guess, uh, lead mechanic after that. And then, uh, I would jacked from. I don't know, uh, something to 2000, I guess for five years. And, um, and then Rusty had fired his, uh, third spotter for the year or something. And I was standing behind the truck and he, he, uh, was coming uh, out of the garage. I think we were in Pocono or something. And I was kind of laughing. He asked me what I was laughing about. And I said, well, I could do that job. So lo and behold, he threw me up there and, and that's where I, that's where I, uh, that's how I started spotting was, um, you know, somebody else didn't didn't do the job, and uh, and and he he threw me up there. So I was rusty spotted till he retired in '05, and then uh, over to Jimmy for one year, and then uh, stopped uh, working there and went over to Robert Yates for a couple years, and then back to Hendrick uh, in uh, seven, eight, uh, nine, I guess oh nine. So uh, I tried to do the whole driving thing at Schrader's track uh, in Peavley on dirt, and. I knew that uh, every week I'd come back and I'd either crashed or the thing had been on fire and I never missed a race. So I uh, shortly uh, become aware that I was a much better mechanic than driver. So that was the, uh, that was the avenue that I took there. So uh, our, another guest has joined us. He's all the way out in Oregon, had a little traffic issue, but uh, Robbie fast. Welcome to the show, man. And meet yourself. How are you? Well, we'll come back to that one. And while we wait on Robbie, I'll tell you a quick one, Marshall. This is good. I was going to say, I'm loving the fact that our spotters who need to be like ninjas <laughs> on the button are Clear. just dying on the vine here and muting themselves. There's a little <laughs> bit of humor right there. Radio check. There he is, spotter. We got you. Oh, man. We got Robbie Fast here. So, Marshall, I'm going to tell you this quick story about Robbie Fast. It was like 2008, my first year full-time spotting in IndyCar. And, uh, yeah, I think it was 2008. Was that the year Champ Car and I all came together? It was. It was. That's right. So it was with Delcoin Racing and Bruno Jincara, and we get to, like, Texas. It was first over of the year or something like that. And I knew who Robbie was, but like, I'm still, like, the new kid. Like, literally the youngest by 20 years up there is what it felt like at the time. The only one that couldn't grow a beard. And, uh, I mean, Robbie's like a true professional dude scanning all these radios. Like he has like more stuff on his belt than I could count. I had, I had a radio where they pushed to talk and then a scanner for race control. 
And he came down. He said, move out of the way. And I'm like, yeah, I told him. And he comes back down stomping and screaming at me. And, well, I felt like I was about three inches tall because, you know, Robbie, uh, Robbie's a, a tough Connection. guy. But he uh, he called me about a week later and apologized. And we've been good friends ever since. But that was my introduction to full-time IndyCar spotting was getting yelled at by Robbie Fast. So hopefully he can get on the Wi-Fi here. A rite of passage. Yell at him now, Robbie. Keep him in line. <laughs> uh, Hint, you're on here, man. Tell, what's the talk? Uh, you know, let's let's do the serious stuff first here. How important is it for guys? You know, what as the driver's side? How important is it on the spotters? You know, the relationship for you to have with them. How important is it for you guys to be clear in your dialect and you, you know you almost be able to expect what's going to come from them? Well, I mean, it's it's like the ultimate trust, right? I mean, your spotters, your your other set of eyes, so you got to trust what they're saying. So that way you can keep your eyes looking forward and, you know, not trying to, not trying to see what's behind you through what they call mirrors on IndyCar. They don't really do much, especially now that they've put an arrow screen in between you and the mirror. So it's so important, man. It's, you've got this person up there that's essentially building you a picture of what's happening behind you. And, you know, on an oval, especially in an Indy car at 220 plus, it's super important to know what's happening around you, what's happening beside you, what's happening behind you. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I know that the title of the show is Clear-ish, and it's funny until it's not. You know, like you, you really got to trust Clear when they, say, when they say Clear. And it's, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, your life is in, in their hands. So it's, it's a super important relationship. You got to speak the same language. Some drivers like a lot of information. Some drivers don't like any, um, you know, one, one well-known IndyCar guy who I won't name, but he used to tell his spotters like, shut up, don't touch the button. I don't want to hear from you. I'm not going to listen to you anyway. I'm going to race the way I want to race. And if guys are in my way, I'm just going to cut them off. So it, it really depends, you know? Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a super, super critical part of oval racing. Um, so now what's the funniest experience you've had with a spotter? Like, what's the thing that's just, you, you've been sitting in the car, whether it's during green, under yellow, on pit lane, you're like, what? Like, did, what was that? Yeah, all right. So I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. So, you know, I, I, I didn't grow up oval racing. I didn't, I didn't do an oval until I was, you know, in Indy Lights. And um, my second year of Indy Lights, so it's, probably we were at the speedway and it was for the you know practicing for the freedom 100 which needs to come back by the way and uh and cole carter was my spotter cole's a good buddy of mine i've i've worked with him for a bunch of years we moved up to indycar together but he was great great spotter and uh but you know I, so i'm probably on my like grand total my fourth ever oval you know event and we're in practice at the speedway and I was side by side with somebody and, you know, he's calling on the outside and we come off of four side by side. Cause in lights cars, you can do that. And, uh, there was another car sort of moving slow on the front straight, you know, this is practice. So he's moving slow on, slow on the front straight. So as we come up to him for a brief moment there, uh, I was in the middle of this sort of three wide going into turn one. Like I didn't know we were going to clear the guy in the middle cause he was, he was dragging his feet a bit, but for a brief second there we were in the middle and I, having never discussed this terminology or you know this scenario at all calls on the radio is like all right outside outside one slow down low outside it goes okay you're the meat you're the meat 
And I literally started laughing so hard in my helmet. I had to back off of the throttle and let whoever I was racing go because you're the meat to explain you're in the middle of a three wide was, was one of the funniest things I had ever experienced. That's, that's pretty good. Now, Freddie and Earl, the first time I did a truck race was for a starting park team. And I was like, there was all these phrases and things. I had no idea. Like, they're like, Oh, it's, you're supposed to tell us this and tell us that we need to do a plug check. And then race control, somebody spinning off a two at Kansas in a truck. And all they say is put it out. And I'm like, what, what's on fire? What do you mean? Put it out. And so we're going along and then I see the yellow flying and I'm like, all right, yellow's out, yellow's out, you know, back it down. And, uh, I had to go and get like a little bit of education. Now on the, you hear the, the radioactive stuff and all the NASCAR stuff. And man, it's like, you guys have like legit conversations on the radio <clears throat> on, on the IndyCar side. It's like none of that. Now we've got Earl and sure enough, they have a great run at Texas. They're playing these radio clips and Earl's still having conversations on the radio with Jimmy, just like he did in the cup car, except for we're, we're doing 220 in an Indy car, man. Can you guys talk a little bit about that? You know, the, the vocabulary and some of the, I don't know how you guys talk a little bit more maybe than we do as far as the, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't answer your last question very good either, but you were asking about uh, how, how spotting has changed and, and, and uh, uh, James uh, uh, put this out, but uh, you know, we used to spot a long time ago, just in, we'd look in turn three, you know, we'd look way ahead of the driver and, uh, and tell him what was happening up in front of him. And now it seems as though you are painting that picture from his hood pins back to, to make sure that he knows what's happening. You know, obviously uh, he can see up in front of him, but uh, you know, that, that picture painting him was a, was a perfect example of what we do. And, uh, and uh, I think that uh, the, the, the terminology is definitely, uh, uh, you know, I personally feel like I'm spotting Daytona or, uh, or California or something like that when I was spotting it uh, at Texas. So uh, it really just come, you know, he wants to hear a lot of information and, uh, you know, obviously it was the first race, uh, on the oval. So I think that I probably was, uh, you know, talking a bit more and I don't know if that was because uh, I didn't want him to be nervous or, or I was nervous. So, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, he, he wants to hear a lot of information. And I think that that, uh, goes, uh, the different drivers have, uh, you know, different wants and needs. I think, uh, um, Freddie, I think Bubba wants a lot of information. You, you give him a lot of, uh, feedback and a lot of information, uh, during the cup race, you know, we get to listen to that occasionally. Yeah. I mean, you know, just, we're just talking more, you know, aside from the safety aspect of it, we're part driver coach, we're part psychologist, we're, we're, we're a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, when, when, you know, you guys are on ovals, it's essentially seemingly one line. You know, uh, we're we're moving all over the racetrack. If if we get a message from the pit box or see it ourselves that you know Larson's running the top and he's two tenths faster than everybody, now you got to start working your guy up to the top. So we're feeding that information. Now we have all this live SMT data, which is essentially we can tell exactly where Kyle Larson's lifting. We can tell exactly how much brake pressure he's applying, where he's lifting. So now it's my job to kind of relay that to Bubba. You know you know, Danny drove in two feet deeper than you, than you did here. He was a half a lane up and didn't carry as much brake, you know, so stuff like that. We're essentially more so helping driver coach in live time versus, you know, a few years ago, you'd have 
uh, a dartfish technology that would lay a ghost car over yours and you would kind of watch and see the differences in the line. But now we actually have all the data that is showing exactly what's going on. So that gets relayed to me from the pit box and I've got to relay that to Bubba as we run on top of obviously spotting, you know, inside, outside, you know, what's going on around us. Uh, so that's just the biggest difference, I think, compared to what we do versus, you know, the IndyCar spotters. That's brilliant, Freddie. Kyle Kirkwood, young IndyCar driver extraordinaire, our reigning Indy Lights champion. Tell us, my man, you're on the early end of this, right? You're getting to learn about what you want from a spotter. You're probably having a spotter educate you a bit. Uh, you went like a bat out of hell on one restart last weekend at Texas. You posted the in-car footage from that where you passed 10 cars in 45 seconds. Uh, tell us about what it's like from your end, man, of having to uh, to learn from some of these veterans to know uh, how to do your job better on the ovals. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely huge having a spotter, right? Uh, especially like Freddie just mentioned. Uh, having one that can also coach you through a lot of things is super important. For me, I've got Jonathan George on my radio who was a driver in the past, and he can give me tons of information on what people are doing around me and how I can apply it to be a better driver, right? So if I'm charging in a little bit too hard and then losing coming out, he notices it, and he notices what people are doing behind you too, right? So there was instances in the race this past weekend where he was like, Hey, just so you know, there's somebody who is running a little bit higher than you through three, four. If you go, so pretty much just telling me if I go up just a little bit higher, I'm going to cut air away from him and he's not going to be able to get a run on me into turn one. So they're also a bit of a lifeline too, when it, when it comes to that sense, because they're relaying a lot of things to the team that the team doesn't see. They're seeing stuff on track happening and in practice, it's also huge because I'm relying on him on where to fill me into a gap. And yeah, I mean, spotters are, are a huge tool for us on ovals and they're also tools for us on the road courses too. Right. Um, because my, my spotter's a really good driver coach. So he's sitting there in the corners. He's the one that's taking dart fish video. He's the one that's watching what everyone's doing and he can relay all that information back to the team. So it's not, it's not only just telling what the telling the driver what's happening around them they're also analyzing what everyone's doing that way we've got we've just got loads of information to take back to the team after a session you mentioned dartfish that reminds me i need to have my friend dave mcintee who's probably the the number one service provider for that technology in indycar and nascar to have him on he was a, a former driver of mine back in the day so funny little world here uh hinch and earl i'd love to have you take what we just discussed with kyle a little bit farther so kyle obviously being new to the world of having spotters absorbing a lot i'd love to hear from you hinch and from you earl on maybe the, the more veteran line of Hinch, you probably want a lot of input. I don't know how much you want your spotter telling you how to drive and what you should be doing behind the wheel. Is there a line there? And Earl, is there any sensitivity for you with informing your driver but not wanting to stray into sounding like you're telling them how to do their job? Is that a thing? Is that a concern? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll kick it off here, Earl. Um, you know, I think, like I said, every, every driver is a little different. I, I liked as much information as was, as was relevant, you know, to me in, in a race car, like knowledge is power, right? The more you know about what's going on, 
the the more informed decisions you can make. And so, you know, you, you sit down with your totter, your spotter and you talk about, you know, what what information is relevant. And as long as it fell in that category, you know, I, I wanted to know everything. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, and again, you know, when you've got like Kyle does, you know, a, a spotter, that's also got some experience either as a driver or even better as a driver coach or both, you know, like I had Bob Perona was a spotter for me for a number of years and, and he's both. It's so, so helpful. You know, when you're, when you're out there, you know, you're so focused on what you're doing, your, your mental capacity is taken, just keeping your car in the right place at the right time with the right balance making the right adjustments in the car whatever whatever you're not going to see everything that's happening around you obviously so if they can pick up that a certain driver is trying a different line at one end of the track and that seems to be working you know that knowledge is huge and you know like we had a race there's a youtube clip somewhere um you know the the race in texas in 2016 when when graham tk and i were like three wide for 10 laps or whatever and it was absolute mayhem and at some point Perona, who was my spotter at the time, he overlaid uh, that clip of the last 10 laps with our radio and like the timing stand audio as well. And man, it is so fascinating. Like if it's not on YouTube, I got to track it down and put it on there because these, these guys and girls that are up there spotting, they, it cannot be understated how tough what they do is and how important what they do is. And you listen to that scenario where Bob, you know, he literally couldn't release the button for 10 straight laps because I had a car inside, car outside, cars lined up behind me, and I needed to know everything that was happening. And, you know, the team's trying to give me information on wheel positions and adjustments. So he's listening to the team radio channel in one ear while talking to me and listening to me in the other. Then he's relating what the team's saying to him because the team doesn't have time to jump on the radio because he's never off the key. You know, it's... It, it is such a tough and stressful situation because, again, you're dealing with people's safety. Just insane. So it's, it's, it's awesome. It is so, so – it's so cool what they do. And so, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear from, uh, from Earl on, you know, how he – how he enjoys telling telling Jimmy how to drive and how much he gets in on that. And just real quick, big shout-out to Kyle and to uh, David Malukas, who's on here. Uh, great job, both you guys, you know, your first, uh, first IndyCar Oval in Texas. But, yeah. Earl, I'd love to hear. Uh, I'd love to hear how much you tell Jimmy what to do and how to do his job. Turn left, idiot! Turn left. <laughs> yeah, I have to. I have to. Uh, man, I've been so fortunate to spot for such veterans and and uh, you know, you know, getting all the information from the pit box uh, up to me and and being able to train, you know, give that to him. But uh, I, I think that um, where I think that I helped a lot and where I thought that uh, coaching or not really coaching, but. You know, I think that it's, uh, I think my forte is just to, you know, have them, uh, you know, keep them calm and, uh, um, and mostly be their cheerleader. You know, I mean, they, they get beat up all day long and, and I got to be the guy on their side. So I don't really know that, uh, that Jimmy Johnson really needed any help, uh, getting around the track at, uh, he, him and I both are learning at IndyCar. So I really don't know what I'd tell him, uh, uh, what that would be very helpful, except, uh, you know, fantastic job or, man, that was, you know, do you see who you just passed? So, you know, a little bit of a, a charge. But uh, when I was spotting in the Xfinity uh, series, I did uh, Chase and Tyler Reddick and William Byron and Noah. And and that really was uh, much more, uh, you know, I, it, I was a little bit out of uh, out of my comfort level, you know, trying to help them on the racetrack. So 
I, I just want to say that I, I think that um, giving him the information that you feel like is important and not just talking to talk was probably uh, what I think I, I needed to do them with them. Tim, uh, Tim Durham, you raised your hand there, buddy. You got a question? Yeah, this is a dumb one, but that's that's par for the course for me. Shocking. You guys ever like? Yeah, exactly, James. I'm just here to harass James. Uh, is there ever a temptation to just throw in something completely random, just being like outside, outside, outside? Do you think trees are sad when their leaves fall off? Outside, clear, or no? I mean, not on my end, at least. Um, you know, but uh, smooth as maple syrup, possibly. I, I gave a sponsor plug during the Daytona 500 because we were riding around single file for felt like forever. So I told <laughs> Bubba I was I was running to McDonald's and asked him if he wanted anything, and he reiterated the McDonald's commercial where he said, "I'll take a." And, and, <laughs> and you know that's 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 about the only time you can get away with it. Daytona is if you're riding around single file not doing anything. So here's one, and I want to call dibs on this. Freddie, I don't know when. You've got a long career ahead of you in NASCAR. We still we, we have this issue with Indy 500 and the Coke 600, but I'm calling dibs right now in front of this, this audience's witnesses that the minute Freddie Kraft is available to come to the Indy 500 on the spotter stand, I, I call dibs on having you. That's fine. It'll be, it'll be my second one because the first one I'm getting real drunk. I got I to gotta experience a snake pit. I've got to be there for the atmosphere. And then the second time I come back, I'll spot. That deal right there. That first one, Freddie. I I usually don't need a lot of help. (laughs) No, and actually, Tim, I think you need to make a voyage to the Chili Bowl this year and let Freddie show you around. He seemed to figure it out pretty good this year, Mr. Wheeler. We need to uh, say a massive thank you to a certain mayor. Of it's not just a, a Canadian town; it's, it's a global mindset of Canadian warmth. Uh, Mr. Hinchcliffe has things to do. He has a grumpy uh, podcast co-host to just rub his belly and make him smile. So we need to let our friend Mr. Hinchcliffe go. Mr. Hinchcliffe, we love you. We appreciate you, and thank you for uh, being a good pal. No, thanks so much for uh, for doing this, guys, and for having me on. And great to hear from. Dave and Freddie and Earl and everybody and Robbie, wherever he went and Kyle and maybe hopefully David Malukas jumps in at some point, but appreciate, uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Enjoy the rest of the show guys. Take care. James, before you leave real quick, uh, the reason why I jumped on here is because Chris mentioned something that kind of made me remember back last year at the Indy, is the Indy GP or is is the NASCAR event or the Harvest GP? I forget, but I spotted for you and you never had a spotter for any road courses and i remember you're you're running around in the back you're slow all weekend long right and for the race charles cruz came down to me and this is the first time i'm ever spotting right so i don't really know what i'm doing i spotted at the 24 once but that's not the same thing as spotting for indycar and charles cruz came down to me who's spotting for will power who's leading at the time and he comes up he's like hey hey you need you need to let our guy through and I just looked at him like, hell no. You see who's in second? It was Colton Herta, right? So that, I didn't make any friends the first time I went spawning because I didn't plan on doing it anymore. But that's the reason why I jumped in here is because I wanted to reminisce on that time I spotted for you. It was great, man. Hey, you were a great coach, too. You helped out in practice. That was actually super helpful. But, yeah, damn straight, man. We weren't giving that spot up. 
No yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he can tell Will to figure out a figure out his way by. That's how it works. <laughs> exactly. Good hearing from you, man. Cheers, buddy. So a, a funny thing, I was looking around, calling around last year and then a little bit this year for the Indy 500, trying to find like second spotters, stuff like that. And there, I have this great list of people that have done NASCAR stuff and sports car stuff, some Indy car stuff. And everyone I called, I said, oh, sorry, I'm hooked up with, with Stuart Haas or, oh, I'm hooked up with Hendrick. I'm hooked up with these guys because we're, we're running a road course race during the Indy 500 program, the two-week program. Freddie, how many spotters does it take for a cup team on a road course? Because we get like one, and I feel like y'all hire every spotter available for those things. <laughs> uh, it's just case-by-case case basis. Uh, this week I'll have – uh, Brent Wentz, who I think is in here, helping me with uh, Nick Payne, who's, who was my second spotter all year last year. Uh, so a case-by-case case deal. So this week will be three. Um, I think Road America was the most we had last year. I think we had four at Road America. Um, Sonoma, you can almost do it by yourself. If there wasn't a blind spot off the last corner, uh, you could do it by yourself. So I'll bring two to Sonoma. Watkins Glen, you could do with three or four. But it's, uh, usually it's three on the average, and then there's a couple places you can get away with two, and there's one, you know, a couple places you need four. So I would say three on the average, most parts. So this is this is a part that just it blows my mind, and I this is not to be negative because it's not my goal, but like you know, IndyCar doesn't even mandate spotters on road courses, and I feel like the NASCAR philosophy puts a lot more credit in the spotters hands and they they kind of raise their spotters up more as far as kind of how they look at them as a more important role than maybe the IndyCar not necessarily the series of the teams maybe a combination of both so I mean I'm assuming NASCAR at least mandates one at those road courses yeah so there's one mandated there's a you know an official check-in for the main spotter and then there's kind of a, a deal where it's recommended for you know to have other spotters and it's it's more so a safety deal um earl could probably tell you the year but uh there was a driver killed in an arc of practice just for the fact that the another driver didn't have a spotter the guy had spun out was sitting there and i don't know how many it was seconds and seconds later that somebody came along and t-boned him in the door and unfortunately killed him and from that point on i think it's been mandatory practice qualifying whatever it is uh, the, you know, the spotter has to be in the spotter stand, but for the road courses, for the most part, it's kind of one main, you have to have one guy for sure. And then it's kind of recommended that you have a second and third guy and they'll, they'll kind of have, you know, outline a, a location where they want them, but it's not really a spot where they check except for that one main spotter stand. So where do you, where do you guys go at Sonoma? Uh, top of the hill. Uh, that would be like top of turn two, essentially coming up the hill. Uh, they'll drive, leave pit road, kind of drive straight at us. Because this year we're not going to run the boot, I guess. I don't know what you call the boot or that infield. We're going to go back to our normal NASCAR track where we just kind of cut across from four to seven. Uh, so that you can see when you're on the top of the hill, you lose them a little bit getting up into three. Then they come back over the hill there and down into four. You have them all the way seven. You lose them a little bit behind the building. They, you see them through the S's, lose them a little bit behind the building getting into 11. And then you lose them on the exit of 11 to about the start finish line. And then you pick them back up for turn one. Yeah, so that's the same spot that we, when we would go there at the IndyCar, we would be. But it's it's crazy to me. It's like, you know, we go to we go to Long Beach next. And at Long Beach, <clears throat> not only is it not mandatory, but there's actually not a place for us to go. So we actually have to buy. Each team has to have a spotter buy um, a super photo pass is what they call it. It's 350 bucks, And so we have to buy those in addition to whatever else we need. 
it's about a 15, 20 minute hike. We get up there and literally we can see them coming at us down into turn one and put out. And that's, that's all you get. So pretty different. That's crazy. If you need passes, just have a roll by him. He's got it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, why don't I uh, give a, a quick little thanks to our partners here at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com for taking great care of us. And thanks to everybody who's tuning in tonight for the, the first ever episode of Chris Wheeler's Clearish. I love it. We're going to be doing more for sure. And if you happen to be enjoying the conversation, uh, invite some friends to take part. This is great stuff. Uh, seriously. Uh, I love the little stories here. The super photo pass, man. I had to buy that once like super long time ago, 30 years ago, whatever at long beach. Uh, just my first time there as a spectator cause I wanted to get some good photos and I don't know how I saved that money, but, uh, it makes me sad to think that the professionals trying to make their drivers safe and excellent are having to fork out cash to climb up towers where idiot photographers are snapping away. There's something a little wacky about that. I'm pretty confident one of the photographers with my air quotes last year had one of those like disposable cameras. You didn't you didn't have to put me on blast like that, Wheeler, but whatever. Ah, big girl, here's one for you. Speaking of partners, as Marshall just thanked ours, have you ever had any personal sponsors? No, I, I have, I have not. I've uh, definitely taken advantage of the ones that we have had on the team and, and other, uh, um, when we had Miller Brewing Company, I made sure that, uh, I partaked in uh, getting all I could uh, hoard. So that's the best one I've had so far. What about you, Mr. Hunt? Oh yeah. You know, us, we self-employed people can't afford health insurance at times, right? <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I went to my eye doctor and said, hey, I got, I'll got i trade out a pair of glasses, a really fine and dandy pair of spotting glasses for a little social media love. And, uh, yeah, so I had, I had a, an eyeglasses sponsor once. Freddie, I know you got all sorts of VIP, like PSA deals. You probably have an agent. I need some. I I, <clears throat> I need Earl's Miller Lite deal, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going broke on the road. I'm with I'm with David. I have fat heads I wear. They've been with me for like ten years. And uh, Freddie, ought to get you a pair. They 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 fit you well, just like they fit me well. Big Earl, you probably need them too. See how he's doing, you guys. Well, you got a you have a normal person head, David. They don't they don't <laughs> take make fat heads for normal people. Actually, I think they do. But um, you know, as as I as I look back at some of the stuff um, and some of the things I had on my notes for tonight, Freddie, you did you guys just launch a new clothing line? Uh, yeah, we, it's, it's, you know, clothing content kind of brand me and Brett have been talking about it for five or six months now. And it's just kind of a way for me and Brett to act like ourselves and, and hide it under another banner called couch racer. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of, you know, right now we got a couple t-shirts out. If you want to go follow couch racer shop here on Twitter or check out the website, couchracershop.com. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a way, an excuse for us to act like idiots and, and kind of hide our names without getting in too much trouble. But uh, we're planning on doing a lot of fun stuff throughout the year and, and coming out with some fun T-shirts and stuff like that, kind of, you know, kind of kicking off our DBC podcast and and just, you know, playing around with some different ideas. But it should be fun. Anything that me and Brett do usually turns into a bit of a shit show. So you can expect that. And, and uh, 
see what we can do. But yeah, it was it was it was cool. We launched it the other day, and it's doing really well so far. So hopefully, we can keep the momentum up and, and keep rolling. Awesome. Well, P- Peter Croft, you're the first guest to raise their hand here today. Um, so go ahead. You're the first question coming in. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, just from my own background, uh, I am a volunteer marshal with SCCA, and I have been sort of trained along the way uh, to, you know, when the brown stuff happens on track, uh, keep things calm. All you know, resist the urge to 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 go crazy out there. You always hear on broadcasts how uh, it's important to have a spotter with a calming voice. Uh, just wondering if you, if uh, amongst uh, all the speakers here, uh, what tips you have, what training you do for yourself, exercises you do for yourself to keep yourself calm when a race is happening. And have you ever had that moment where you've just gone completely nuts uh, on the radio with your driver? I'll let any of you guys answer that. Go ahead, Earl. You're the calmest one up there. Man, Freddie, I thought that you'd uh, fill right in on that. Uh, I just, I think that's just my personality is, uh, man, I'm excited to be up there. But, you know, it's just a, a, a enjoying watching, you know, not only my driver, but the rest of those guys up there is uh um, it's it's exciting, but uh, you know you just have to remember that you do, you just don't want the driver to get all excited and and to make a bad decision. So um, I don't know if there's any training or not. Uh, um, I used to have a crew chief that uh, would would remind me to stay calm. So uh, maybe maybe a little outside uh, help on on my side uh, was um, younger when they were telling me I should uh, relax a little bit up there. So. Um, took that right to a heart and, uh, and, and it's pretty easy. You know, it's a, it's, it's just fun to be in that, uh, that atmosphere and it's fun to be up there, uh, doing my thing and then to watching and, uh, and being a part of and contributing to some success. One of the, one of the biggest things that helped me and I'm, I'm sure Earl does this. I don't know about you, Wheeler, uh, was listening to myself. Uh, I scanned myself mainly to know if I have an issue or not, but you know, I, I kind of, when I've, first started listening to myself i was like why why am i yelling why am i talking so loud why am i talking so fast so you know it kind of helped me kind of gauge myself and and you know kind of as i've been doing this now for longer it's kind of helped me slow down stay calmer obviously you can you know uh i was spotting for aj almendinger last year the year before it at colleague and i there was a wreck in front of us and i kind of just stayed my same demeanor and he's like, hey, I, I'm going to need you to go up a couple octaves when they're wrecking right in front of me like that, if you don't mind. He's like, I didn't really know what the hell was going on because you really didn't change your voice at all. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try to get a little more animated next time for you. But, uh, yeah, Earl's, Earl's got the best voice in the world. We, we actually asked him to read an entire cigar menu at Nikki Blaine's one night just so that we could sit back and relax and, and enjoy a good cigar and know exactly what we were, what we were getting ready to inhale. You know, I think that uh... – uh, us having multiple radios up there, you know, we never used to be able to listen to ourselves or had that idea that that was even necessary. You know, we, I heard somebody saying that they had a, a scanner and a, and a headset and heck, I don't even know if we used to say anything on the radio much except for, Hey, the caution's out. And well, you know, I, I what kind of idiots were we, these guys are uh, driving the car. They can see that the caution's out. So I think listening to yourself for sure, like, uh, like really, uh, 
uh, being able to hear yourself speak uh, what Freddie was talking about is the is the best tool that we have. Yeah. Not, not only makes you can hear yourself, but you can find out if, uh, oh, you know, uh, you know that the driver's hearing what you're saying and your radios aren't broken. And and so listening to yourself is definitely uh, um, the what's helped me. You know, I don't I've actually never done the listen to myself thing. Um, they've asked me if I wanted to try it, and I'm sure that I've got the capabilities with my current setup, but I just I never have. Maybe I should try it. Um, I think the keep calm thing was actually I was I was probably out of control my entire career until 2019 or maybe it was 2020. I had to fill in for CR Cruz. I took some time off, so I wasn't spotting, and I had to uh, fill in for CR Cruz because he was stuck in Europe for with, with willpower. And you know, I guess I was calm during practice and like the start of the first Iowa doubleheader race. Apparently, I was a bit animated. And after the race, Ron from the uh, the timing center was like, "Dude, what what was that? Like you were you were getting after the first half of that race, man. Like you started spotting when the green flag dropped, and I started reaching for the volume buttons. And um, the next day, I was like super chill the whole time. And I think, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm still the same way. But the biggest thing for me has been I mean, I've had 19 concussions and two brain bleeds, and so. Uh, my eyes aren't, <laughs> I hate to say this. That's what, that's where clears came from on my hashtags a couple of years ago, but like, man, I'm not, I don't have the best eyes. So like, I always thought that you just go to the eye doctor and every eye doctor was the same. And I got hooked up a couple of years ago with a sports optometrist here in Indy, um, that works with like baseball players to hit fastballs, which they say is the hardest thing to do in sports. And I, you know, he works with, uh, goalies and hockey players. And I was amazed at, how much fine tuning there is in your eyes with an optometrist, especially a, an optometrist for these reasons. And then he actually hooked me up with an Oculus Rift and it's got a lot of training exercises on it that help you identify objects at a high rates of speed as they change. Um, and so I've been on that for about two years and I'll be honest, starting last year after I'd been working with the software and doing some more of this Oculus type training, I've never felt as in tune as I have been since then. And so that's been really big for me, David. Yep, you guys with me? Yeah, buddy. I was sleeping there. Yeah, Peter, uh, that's a great question. Just to kind of come back to that, I think every every driver's a little different. I've had a lot of different experiences, one of which sitting next to a, a fellow spotter at uh, the Rolex 24 um, with the driver um, who didn't like that uh, there was no urgency in the spotter's voice about something that was going on up in front of him and actually wanted someone to be a little more animated. But I always... I've always felt like staying calm and clear is obviously the best way to go. But, you know, some drivers prefer a, a different dialect or different tone. There's no doubt. And also, Peter, while you're on here, I want to say thanks for what you do as a as a corner marshal and doing that work. It's a thankless job a lot of times. And and um, we know you guys love the sport, but we appreciate all you corner marshals out there on these road courses. Man, awesome stuff there. Ryan Terpstra, go ahead. Welcome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Uh, question kind of for Freddie, really for anybody, but uh, thinking back to an incident earlier this year where the wreck happened, but NASCAR didn't throw the yellow. Um, the wreck continued to happen, continued to happen, and, you know, you could never predict what was what that car was going to do. I think it was, was it maybe California. And Bubba ends up having to swerve to avoid it. You know, what are you calling out in a situation like that where, you know, cars kind of wrecking, but they haven't thrown the yellow. And so the, the field's not slowing down. You're still racing. Um, you know, what kind of goes through your mind in an incident like that? 
Yeah, uh, obviously I didn't do a very good job because we wrecked. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're 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 we're battling. We're side by side with Chase for position. We were probably a half a straightaway or so behind them when they started wrecking. Um, and the forty-three pound of the fence, and you're just watching them come down the front stretch. And you know, I've told Bubba, and he can see it. The forty-threes hit the fence. He's slow on the bottom, but stay green because the green's still out. And then right as he is getting ready, you know, they see him kind of lose control and the, he's dragging a bunch of stuff on the ground. So they're getting ready to throw the yellow. And right as they throw the yellow, we're now probably 10, 15 car lengths away, maybe. And the, you know, he catches the left side tires in the grass and it shoots him back across the racetrack. And it's just, you know, you're just trying to get as much information as possible, you know, watch him. Here he's coming. He's coming across, coming across, coming across. And, and it, ironically, we had just talked about the, the, the wreck before that, I think it was Christopher Bell had spun out and the, the bottom side was a lot clearer than the top side. So I called the bottom and Bubba went top and uh, which is, I'm fine with, he knows better than me. I'm just kind of pointing out directions of where I think he should go. And we got through the wreck obviously. And he said, you know, I, I know you said bottom and I know that was better. He says, but with this new car, he says, if I tug on the wheel real hard, I'm going to wreck. He said, they just, they're just that, that unstable that if I just jerk the wheel to the left to go to the bottom, I'm going to wreck. And then sure enough, whatever it was, you know, 20, 30 laps later, we're in that situation where we got to go bottom and he, you know, has to tug on the wheel to, to, you know, luckily he avoided Eric because it could have been way worse, you know, kind of ruined our day, but it could have been a really bad situation if he would have, if he would have hit Eric in the driver's door. So he did a good job of just tugging the wheel and unfortunately spinning to hit the inside wall. Luckily we missed a pace car by about 20 feet. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, that's just you're kind of watching them, but it's the same. Everybody's like, I can't believe you weren't slowing down. It's like you can't slow down because you're side by side racing the guy and the green flag's still out. So, you know, you're, it's a double edged sword there where, you know, I could have been way more cautious, but do I at, at, at the risk of giving up a spot with two to go or three to go, whatever it was in the race. So, you know, it's just a it was just a bad situation for us. But, yeah, I was just trying to trying to feed the information as, you know, 43 is wrecked on the bottom. And oh, watch out. He's coming across. And we luckily missed him, but unfortunately ruined our day. You know, sometimes guys like there's races that like you get through, at least on my end that I get through and I'm like, man, I feel energized, like I'm ready to rip. Like that was an easy day, like no big deal. But some of these deals we get, we get done and whether it's the heat, whether it's the lack of water before or during, or it's just the amount of chaos during the event. And there's sometimes that I'm just done and I'm done for not just like go to sleep, wake up tomorrow, be recharged. But like, it's almost like a hangover to about Tuesday. You guys ever experienced that? Oh man, I can speak to that. Just after doing the first few Indy 500s, when we go on, uh, you know, we get on some good green flag runs and then we have a bunch of cautions and restart after restart. And, you know, an Indy car restart at, at the Indy 500, um, man, when it goes yellow, sometimes I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, here we go again. It's, it's a rough deal and it's very intense. So I remember walking out of that racetrack a bunch of times with tightness in my neck that I've never felt before. I mean, a sun, I, I see some other guys in here, but Sunday was about as rough as it gets for us. Uh, I felt like that was that was Daytona on steroids. I don't feel like on a normal weekend, even Daytona 500 weekend, I'll probably go through maybe two batteries in my radio for a race at the most. I used up every battery I had this weekend between the three races, which is uh, about eight eight different batteries. 
uh, of just never, I felt like I'd never take my binoculars down, never come off the button. Uh, it just was, like I said, it felt like Daytona on steroids this week. And it's just, you know, just unpredictability. Like the runs were coming from nowhere. All of a sudden a run would develop and you didn't see it coming. So it was just kind of on the edge of, you know, just, just nonstop action for me, really. I don't think my, my button is working, but I have invited both Brent Wentz and Jason Reiner to join us um, as, you know, awesome guys themselves. Brent, of course, shows up to his first time spotting at the Indy 500 and puts it in victory lane. So I don't know why he ever came back. Um, but let's talk about some of the biggest achievements. Um, Earl, we'll, we'll start with you. I mean, you've got plenty of hardware. You've got more rings than you could than you could look at and things on your mantle. What's, what do you think your biggest achievement on the spotter stand has been to date? Uh, I'd have to say that, uh, my first Daytona 500 was, was the, was the best one. Um, uh, I was obviously been there for 18 different or 36 or, you know, 18 years already racing and, and, uh, my first uh, race ever to spot for Jimmy Johnson. And, uh, and, you know, I, I felt like I did a, I felt like that was the best race I ever called. And I felt like I contributed the most, um, uh, of any racetrack or any other race that I, we've ever won. And, and that was my, that was my biggest accomplishment. I think, uh, Daytona 500, uh, Oh six. What about you, Hunt? Man, these guys got the record on me. I, I all I can do is admire those kind of results. I haven't been there yet, as you know, in, in the big car and IndyCar, but, um, I have to say like most of my fulfillment has come from junior category wins and open wheel racing and, you know, getting to know some of these younger drivers um, and really kind of be invested in their progress. And um, I've just won a bunch of races in the junior category stuff that I'm pretty proud of, just the way it all came together and the way it happened. And, you know, with Colton, man, we've been sitting good a couple of times, you know, Gateway last year. We have pretty much had it in hand, um, making the mileage we needed and nobody could touch us seemingly out front. And we just needed to click off the last what 80 or 90 laps and we broke a half shaft. And uh, I've had, you know, a lot of near near misses. We had a bullet for a race car this weekend at Texas and some things didn't go our way in the pit. So I'm hoping this year I'll be able to get a big car win, an Indy car. Um, one, one of the funnest victories I ever had, though, um, and Freddie, this is a driver we share in common. The first ARCA race I ever spotted was for Derek Krause. And we were um, we were at Gateway. And, you know, the trucks were running with the IndyCar series or but yeah, it was ARCA that back then. And so uh, Derek had a pretty spirited drive. Um, I'd never really done a stock car race before. And man, was that fun. And he won the dang thing. So like beginner's luck on an NASCAR race. That was a lot of fun that night at Gateway passing a whole bunch of cars. But that's pretty much it for me. I hope he listened to you better and listens to me. <laughs> I don't think he listens to anybody. Does any of the, do any of these drivers really? Man, I got an ARCA win at Iowa one year with Mason Mitchell. I got a text message or a call like the morning. It was a one-day show, and they're like, hey, these guys pay cash. You know, they're looking for a guy. It's a one-off deal. So, I, all right, whatever, I'm here. And I got up there with my shorts and flip-flops on, and the official's like, hey, man, you got to you gotta have long pants on on the spotter center. I said, y'all know we're kind of far away from the danger, right? And he goes, it's a series rule. So I went down to race control. And I got two black trash bags and a roll of tape, and I put them on one at a time, made pants, and I taped up my flip-flops for closed-toed shoes. Um, 
And I'll never forget the last restart. It was with Austin Sindrick. And, of course, Tim's on the spotter stand because I'm sure that's in the rules. He's allowed to be there. And um, he's just hanging out. And he's, like, kind of staring at me because we had talked under caution. He asked who I was spotting for. And it was like a green-white checkered deal. And I, we were on the inside. And I just told the kid, I was like, hey, man, bring us the steering wheel or the checkered flag. And uh, we, we, he straight sent it into turn one, doored Sindrick into the fence, drove away, got the win. And TC just stared at me. And I was like, man, this stock car stuff's pretty cool. But um, 2015 at, at at Milwaukee is my only win on an oval in IndyCar. Um, it was with Sebastian Bourdais, and we lapped the field. And I was about five days off shoulder reconstruction surgery. So by the time we get there, I'm two days off my painkillers, not in a good mood. We lapped the field. We win the thing. And uh, dang, I wish we'd go back to that place. But, Freddie, you've had some you've had some fun wins, man. What uh, which one sticks out the best or your biggest accomplishment? Uh yeah, I would assume yeah, I would have to say the the cup win last year with Bubba. Like Earl said, you know the the plate races are where you feel like you played the biggest part. And uh, even though it was rain, you know rain there, we all kind of knew the rain was coming, so it got super aggressive there for the last four or five laps before the end of the stage. So you like like you just feel like you're playing a bigger part in the win there. I've got a couple truck wins on uh, super speedways, so. Just the, those super speedway wins, and obviously there's a lot of you know sentimental wins. Even going back to my short track days, winning some big modified races at my home track at Riverhead Raceway, uh, winning with Bubba at Martinsville with the Wendell Scott paint scheme was a big deal for us. Uh, just just like you said, there's a lot of stuff, but that the, the cup win, my only cup win so far, has got to take the cake for now. Now, now Brent Winch here in the show. Welcome to Meet Yourself. We talked about your Indy 500 triumph. I think you've gone to Victory Lane at Daytona 500, not in the spotter role, maybe. So you've got some big ones up there. What sticks out to you, man? Yeah, just thanks for having me on. Uh, a lot of familiar faces in here um, from the stock car and IndyCar world. But, yeah, two Daytona 500s as a mechanic for Matt Kenseth in 2009 and 2012. And then, of course, you know, the 2020 Indy 500 with uh, Takuma Sato was, you know, something that wasn't on my hit list for sure. Uh, being a stock car guy, it just the way the COVID stuff worked, uh, you know, it all worked out um, to the best of my favor, I guess. But last year I was at a modified race with Bobby Labonte down here in Dillon, South Carolina. And uh, we ended up winning that race. Uh, big modified guy, grew up around modifieds. And uh, somebody asked me in Victory Lane, why Why are you here at Dillon Motor Speedway? And I said, there's never a Victory Lane that I never enjoyed standing in. So I don't care what it is, a big wheel race, a IndyCar race, a stock car race. They all have sentimental value. It's just the way you approach it, I think. So, you know, I love, I love racing. I love competing. And, uh, you know just to get the opportunities to be at those places and doing those kind of things means the world to me. So well, I'm going to introduce another uh, newcomer here in the group. They say that he left the NASCAR world for IndyCar just so he could visit new towns with new breweries. But my good buddy, Jason Reiner's in here. There's some truth to that. <laughs> he's a, he's a part-time spotter, volunteer firefighter, and full-time beer drinker, but Jason, man, welcome to the show. Now, appreciate it, Wheeler. What uh, what's the what's the homebrew flavor of the night down there in Charlotte? Well, unfortunately, I got to get up pretty early tomorrow. Fly out commercial down to Austin, so uh, I stayed pretty light today. So 
but uh, looking forward to checking out some new breweries in Austin this weekend down there for the NASCAR race. Awesome. Well, I'm going to add it. We have a new, uh, a new guest joining us here. Uh, getting connected here, but Jordan, uh, go ahead and unmute yourself, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, good evening guys. How you guys doing? Good. Hey, um, so I'm from Toronto, Ontario. I've been spotting here in Canada since about 2018. Uh, I've spotted here in the NASCAR Pinty series, APC late models, street stocks, uh, and even the trucks when they would come to Moss border for a few years. And Freddie, I know I reached out to you a couple of times, but I have uh, two questions for you all. Uh, my first question is how does someone with some spotting experience get the chance to be a spotter at the highest level of motorsports, such as you guys? And secondly, uh, what are some roles or jobs you spotters have during the week when you're not spotting? That's pretty good. Uh, Freddie, what, uh, I'll let you kind of answer that one first and we'll go, we'll do a round table on this one. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just start wherever you can get your foot in wherever you can, uh, whether it be the truck series, the Xfinity series, uh, a lot of guys get their start as a second spot or third spot of these road courses. So like you said, if you've done Mossport already, um, you know, just try to keep banging that door down, try to get in with another team. The more your face is seen, the more we think about, Hey, what, I wonder what that Jordan guy's doing this week. You know, that's kind of the, what I've always told everybody, you know, just be around, be available, be around. That's the best. That's the best thing I can tell you. Obviously do a good job, but you know, availability is usually the uh, best ability, especially when it comes to second and third spotters. Um, so that would be the biggest thing. And then as far as roles during the week, it's a little bit, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, I would, you know, usually go into the shop one day a week for a meeting. Uh, they've actually cut back on that a little bit now with the second team. They're kind of keeping it a little bit uh, less people in the room. But uh, yeah, that's all I do during the week is, you know, maybe watch a couple races on the way out to the racetrack on the plane or something. But yeah, my role during the week is, is pretty mild. But yeah, as far as getting gigs, just kind of beat the doors down, man. Try to get gigs wherever you can. Don't ever say no to a spot and gig. Uh, spot for whatever you can spot for, whether it's a mini stock, uh, IndyCar, NASCAR, whatever it is. Uh, you know, just never say no. I'll uh, move on to Earl. Yeah, that was just going to say the uh, very good advice and and uh, you need to uh, Jordan, you just need to keep continue to reach out to Freddie and uh, you know his number is uh, 704 uh, uh, So you just have to keep bugging Freddie. He'll he'll get you hooked up. Jordan makes me very nervous because he <laughs> sent me a message the other day. A lot of people I don't know if they're familiar with I, my story growing up was and I was about 17 18 years old I had a job offered to me with the Long Island Railroad. And which is, you know, kind of a union job. It's going to be one of them work to your 45 and retire deals and and set for life, whatever. And I didn't take it because that meant I had to work on the weekends and I couldn't go racing. So I always tell that story. My mom hated me for it. And then after, you know, a few years now, the, being where we're at, she's like, oh, I guess it worked out best for you for best. But uh, Jordan <laughs> sent me a message the other day that he's thinking about doing the same thing and leaving his train job to go full-time spotting. And it's got me very nervous, <laughs> but yeah. I hope it works out for you the same way, buddy, but it's a, it's a long road to hoe and, and you just got to put the time and effort into it. You do. And then, and again, spot anywhere you can, you know, whether it's a, a dirt track or a late model race or anything, snowball derby, any, you know, get up there and, and go to an event, you know, go to the events that are close to you and, and talk to some of the guys and make sure that you, uh, you can always, uh, you know, online, 
you know, just keep bothering people. They'll, uh, something will happen. Yeah. I appreciate that guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. David Hunt, you, you probably lead the most interesting life of just juggling so many different things at once. I, I want to hear your response to this one. Oh, response to Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, look, I'm, you know, I'm one step closer to retirement. I, I, my life is not as glamorous as it once was no doubt, but, um, back to Jordan's, you know, those guys covered, covered it pretty good. And Earl's right. Spot everything you can. You're not only going to get better, but you're one relationship or friendship or, you know, acquaintance away from getting your next big chance. Cause somebody you're spotting within the Pinty series may get a deal somewhere. Uh, and going back to what Freddie was talking about with, you know, NASCAR road courses, they need second, third and fourth spotters sometimes. So just being in the network, being a good guy, building those relationships and it will keep the door open for you to eventually get your break. And, and then it all kind of happens organically, no doubt. And um, for me, you know, my week is kind of made up of, I'm a father of three daughters. So I'm always chasing after these three girls to make sure they're in line. I play a little music on the side. I've been in the marketing business for a long time. Um, I do a lot of stuff in the background, um, like Wheeler doing on doing deals in the background, working on sponsorship, helping a driver here and there. Um, and really, that's about it in my day to day these days. So, you know, I was just kind of sitting here thinking about this kind of crazy group that we've got sitting here. Um, and a lot, oftentimes people say, oh, well, you know, hey, have you ever tried doing this? You're a spotter. So. So this would make sense to if you did this. Um, any of you guys ever had that? Or better yet, if you weren't spotting, right, but you had to use the spotting skills you have, what I mean, what kind of line of work would you want to do? And that's open open to anybody to answer. I think they want us to be auctioneers. <laughs> I've done that a couple times to help out. It's not uh, not my best thing, but it is fun. Wheeler, I think definitely the first thing that comes to mind for me would be a 911 dispatcher. Um, you know, you're literally, even in, in race control and IMSA, like we're all processing a ton of information. And the key is to be able to figure out what's happening in real time as quickly as possible, come up with a solution for it and be able to communicate effectively. So I, I think that kind of sums up what we do, really. I, I feel like there's a lot of jobs that you don't think about as spotters that, you know, you don't just have to be a spotter for a race car. You could be, I've thought about, you know, Hey, if this don't work, I could go be a spotter for NFL games. You know, every TV broadcast you see, we see them on the roof with us all the time. I don't know about where the cameras are located for the IndyCar races, but there's a, there's a spotter sitting next to the cameraman, you know, the, the, the producer's calling out, you know, such and such car number and the spotter's there to kind of assist the cameraman on where to find it or whatever, you know, whether it's a football game, a basketball game, uh, there's there's multiple uses for uh, for a spotter watching from above. The most common one I get is air traffic controller. My only fear on that over the years has been the amount of school involved, and I barely made it through the required amount of school. And so my my thought of a, additional education was always kind of kind of tough. But for whatever reason, air traffic controllers come up a lot over the years. And uh, you know, Freddie I, Robbie Fast would have made this point to the show. He couldn't join us because wherever he is in Oregon does not believe in cell service or Wi-Fi. Um, so I'm going to have to be the one to do this. Now, Big Earl, I'm, I'm telling you, this is from Robbie, not me. But if you want to know where the cameras are at an IndyCar race near the spotters, well, at Texas, the camera crew was following around Big Earl. He had his own 
reality show up there following him around. Well, they must if he if he spots an IndyCar race, anything like he spots a NASCAR race, they were busy because I don't think Earl ever stood in one spot for 500 miles of a NASCAR race. But I used to love Earl being around me because we used to have uh, these fan visions that would be, you know, they would feed us lap time information and stuff like that, and you could highlight your driver. And you know, obviously, I was spotting for Bubba or Biffle or whoever it was, and you would come back and there would always be two drivers highlighted on your fan vision. It was the 48 and your driver because Earl would have undoubtedly gotten to your spot somehow and needed to look down at something for Jimmy and he would highlight Jimmy on your fan vision. So it was always funny to be around Earl and he was always one of my favorite people on the roof anyway. And I, I always look forward to anytime I get to see him, but it was, I used to love being around Earl on the roof. I actually got moved on my position on the spotter stand in Texas I was next to Earl, but I got moved out of the way by a mic man and a cameraman. So I can attest that there were cameras everywhere following Earl. That's brilliant. I think we're going to let Wheeler go uh, tinkle here for a moment. Uh, if any of y'all have uh, have questions, probably going to run another 10 or 15 minutes or so on this episode of the Hashtag Racing Family Show. And uh, Wheeler's first episode of Clearish. So. Raise your hand, request to speak, uh, do something. Let us know if you want to chime in and uh, ask a question. Uh, why don't we bring in our man, Kyle Kirkwood, who's been sitting patiently and quietly. Tell me about interests for you, Kyle, knowing that you have spotted, as you mentioned earlier, for James Hinchcliffe, now that you are receiving uh, spotting information in your ear on ovals, and road courses and uh, and such does this start to become something that blends in to your driving uh, or is this something that i don't know if i want to say is jarring but you know you do something long enough and it kind of becomes natural you process it you maybe aren't even you know totally having it in the front of your brain but are you at a point where you're receiving uh jonathan george's input through your uh, through your ears, and it's just kind of flowing normally. Or are you still having to to think about it a little bit? Yeah, you it, well, it kind of just depends on on the situation, what information is being shared to me, or is, or is getting shared to me. Um, I mean, to to answer your question, pretty much everything that he tells me is is pretty simple, and it's normal things that I would think about. But um, there are times, yeah, where 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 we're under caution or we've came for a pit stop and there's, he's throwing a lot of information at me at once that I'm trying to grasp while we have this kind of this lay time. And um, then I try and go back out and, and apply that. So, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's all kind of second nature. Um, but there are stuff that, yeah, I have to think about. And it's actually cool sitting on this right now. I've, I've just been really listening in not really sitting patiently. I'm just sitting here on my computer, but it's cool to listen and see what your guys' thought process is going through this because that's actually super helpful for me to understand what you guys are thinking about because there's a lot of times, like as a driver, you don't really get to talk to your spotter. You're with your engineers. You're with um, sponsors. You're doing meet and greets. You're, all your time is absorbed into different things, and the only time you really hear from your spotter is when he's up top. So, I mean, any information that you and it's pretty unfortunate to be honest because that's who you're hearing from for the entire race you rarely hear from your crew chief at least for me um so i mean there's little things that i've got scott honor who's on my stand he's he's my crew chief or or my strategist if you will 
And, um, but pretty much everything I hear comes from Jonathan George, which, which I know Rob or sorry, Freddie uh, mentioned earlier where they're throwing a lot of information at him and then he's relaying it back to him. So um, yeah. So, I mean, it's super cool that I'm able to just listen in and hear what you guys have to say about all this. Well, Kyle, I didn't want to have to break it to you, but I think Harner was at the bar last weekend. So I think he might've dove off a little early for the uh, XPL 375. Kidding aside, <laughs> another thing I'd love to uh, to hear about, uh, David, maybe I'll, I'll go to you first. So Colton Herta, one of the smartest drivers I have come across in a really long time. And I'm not necessarily talking about grades in school smart, but his mental processing speed and capability is phenomenal things happen so fast for him uh he can process a lot of complex things at once uh he's not his brain's not getting pushed to 99 percent and about to uh, shut down would love to hear david a little bit about the spotting aspect and communicating with colton and how a super smart driver like that can maybe handle tons of stuff that you throw at him uh, and maybe you know freddie and brent and earl i'm not saying any of y'all have worked with dummies but i have to imagine part of doing your job well is understanding the driver you have but whether they're good at multitasking or you got to slow things down uh david give it give us some insights on colton maybe the rest of you can tell us about having to tailor what you do based on who you're talking to yeah, man, that that's such that's the topic right there, right? And you're you're dead on about Colton. It's truly amazing. I've worked with some drivers, you know, when when the caution comes out, they're kind of breathing heavy, and, and it's, it's kind of like, okay, what are we doing? Well, you know, the difference with Colton, he's truly such an anomaly in the way he processes information. I I, I think you're dead on on that, Marshall. And he, um, you know, as soon as the yellow comes out, he's already kind of conferring with his dad, thinking, well, if these guys are on this strategy and no, they didn't pit, we should be, you know, he's already processed. He's way ahead. And I've really had to change my style because he he likes he likes for you to leave him to it. He He's on a high concentration level. He's in his own. I've had to really kind of back down my style and just use fewer words um, and just deliver the information the best I can. You know, his the relationship he has with his dad, as you know, you know, Brian Hurd is an extremely bright guy. And it's really an incredible thing to sit back and listen to them work during the course of the race. And I I really, for the first time in a long time, try to stay out of out of the way, even if I see areas where I can add value sometimes. Um, you know, I kind of hesitate because Colton is just if he, he, it's easy to leave it to him to do the work, but he's capable of doing it highly. What about you, Brent, for example? What, uh, and you don't have to name names, but I'm guessing you've had some drivers over the years where you've had to either say, geez, I got to speak at three times uh, the speed to fill them with everything they want. Maybe some others, you got you to gotta slow it down a little bit. Well, I mean, we just go back to this past weekend with uh, Callum uh, Junkos. Um, it was his first ever oval race and first time really ever having a spotter so it took a lot of you know patience what do you say do you give him too much information you know and we we talked about it and you know everything went really smooth and uh i think the only place he ever had a spotter was lama 
and uh, he said they used the, the scoring tower, just you know the monitors, just to, to spot. They don't really you know see it. They use the little dots, and he said it's just a lot different. But uh, you know, being the first oval, being the first time at Texas, we had a lot of firsts, and uh, you know we made it through the whole race without you know really any problems. But you really have to on the IndyCar side from the timing stand. There's so much information coming in your left ear that you have to punch out to the driver while you're continuing trying to spot. So it's a lot of, it's, it's the most information and stuff that I've, I've had ever come into my headset that I have to push out to the driver. But uh, yeah, it all went well. I mean, each driver's different, you know, so you got to kind of conform to those, to those guys. But I think we're in a pretty good spot with, with Junkos and column and, and heading to Indy for the, you know, obviously their biggest race of the season. So. You know, that's that's a fascinating thing I want to follow up on. So Callum, European from England, uh, grown up thinking in meters, not yards or feet, ounces and uh, liters, and just probably has a very different uh, understanding of measurements of space and such things. This guy is a Ferrari Formula One test driver, uh, What's the process of trying to coach up a guy like Callum, who I love? I'm actually the one who recommended him to a Ricardo to hire. But what's the process of having to educate your driver about spotting? And I don't know if it's the language or but the communication style, because like you said, it's not really something he's familiar with. And second, uh, you probably have to get on the same page in terms of distance and other things too. So you guys are not speaking two different languages. Yeah. I mean, we, it was, it went surprisingly well. We, we sat down, had a, maybe a 15 minute conversation on, on a little bit of lingo here and there, but, um, you know, just, he just said, you know, just do what you do and, and I'll conform to it. He goes, he doesn't really know any different, you know, so me is just kind of teaching him, you know, be the, be the leader, be the teacher, give the information. And I tried to be, you know, short and sweet with it, you know, you don't want to over overload the drivers with too much information, but you want to give them the information they need to, to race and be successful. But, uh, yeah, he, he did really well. And I, I mean, we stayed out of all the mess and, you know, he, he performed well. And, you know, there was a couple of times where we were on a different strategy and, and we were on old tires and everybody else is on new tires and gets kind of gets kind of sketchy, you know, like you got your three wide down the back stretch. You got these guys breathing down your neck and, you know, we, we came out of it really good. And at the end of the day, everybody was, was happy. And I think the only thing is just you, the more you communicate, the more races you get under your belt, you know, the easier it'll be the next time. So, you know, Marshall made a point there about the, just the fact of measurements. Reiner, do you remember were we in Phoenix when you were with Chilton? I think you guys crashed in the first lap. He got taken out by somebody, and he went back to a phrase like on the radio about how he only made it like forty meters or something like that. I mean, that, that's a quick memory. I don't know. I remember all the details. <laughs> yeah, that was a uh, that was a uh, that was at Phoenix with Max. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember the guy that was standing next to me that smashed his push to talk button, but it'll it'll come back to me one day, Chris. Um, but yeah, uh, adapting to a driver that's not used to American lingo, um, actually. Prior to that, we were at the preseason test also at Phoenix, and I'd never spotted for Max. And uh, actually, in the Carlin Holler 
or transporters, they would call it. They had an English to English, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say dictionary, but basically an English to English uh, words of what this word means in English and then what this word means in American English. And uh, sometimes I'd have to study that because, uh, you know, you, when I would say, uh, you know, there's a car straight away back, meaning there's, you know, there's, you know, you got plenty of room to, to pull into the pits. Uh, he thought it was right behind him the first time out. So, yeah, a little, little different going English to English. You would you would think it all transpose. It doesn't. <laughs> you know, I think that was the last time I broke something on the spotter stand. I'm not sure. It, it's It's been a... A, a plethora of things but on that note i'm going to welcome in a question here from a, a hardcore prude fan follower kevin from canada welcome to the show well good evening guys uh thanks for inviting me up top here to have a quick chat um got thinking after your comment about uh the 911 dispatch and comparing it to the the spotter role in all three series do the AMR safety teams, do they have uh, an eye in the sky up there with you guys to help guide them to the incidents, or are they just getting uh, info from race control? I think they just get info from race control. I've never seen them up top of those, but I'll tell you what, the AMR safety crew moves fast, and that's one of the things I know on the IndyCar side that over the years that the safety crew has gotten so much more on top of it and so much quicker um, you've had to, when, when, you know, once you call yellow and, and there's two types of yellows in IndyCar, there's, there's yellow flag, nice and calm over race control. And that's a cut tire, a piece of debris, something simple. It's not in any sort of panic. And then there's the, the common phrase that a lot of IndyCar fans know, which is just yellow, yellow, yellow. And when you hear a yellow, yellow, yellow come off on the race control radio, the shit's hit the fans somewhere. Um, and your first mind in my mind, the first job is to see it see what's going on and get us through it. But at the same time, you've got to have an eye on the AMR safety crew because they move so quick. And Kyle can attest to this. Obviously he crashed at Texas. Um, and I feel like they were at his car heck before his car stopped, stopped moving. Um, and so knowing where those safety portals are on the ovals um, and the road courses, when they're in your site to know where those safety trucks are going to dispatch from and knowing kind of their movements is key because there's been a couple guys that have almost hit safety trucks in the past as they're being dispatched to a car because they're going to the site and, you know, there's a little bit of give and take there that needs to happen, but it's our job also to make sure that they're aware of where the movement is for the safety crew. Awesome. No, that makes perfect sense. I just, yeah, like you said, they, they get on scene so darn quick. I figured maybe they had uh, someone up there with uh, the binoculars, uh, giving them a hand, but they're just that good, I guess. Well, so Kyle, what was your thoughts on that? How fast safety crew got to you there, at Texas? Man, they were there before I even realized what happened. Uh, I, that was really cool to see because I I had that wreck right. Everything happened so fast. There's no time to react to the situation, um, especially when you're doing 220 miles per hour through a corner. And yeah, by the car, by the time the car came to a stop, they were already there rushing to my car. And I was getting out and I still had everything hooked up because I was confused what was still what happened. So I still have my drink bottle hooked up. I still have my radio connected into the car. Um, my my hose was still connected and they came in and they made sure all that was undone for me. I didn't even have to think about doing that. Um, so, I mean, they do a phenomenal job. I think there was a photo that they posted a little while ago. There was about eight people on the car within within 15 seconds it had to be and they kept me safe because i actually 
wanted to run down the track to get away from the car because I saw the smoke and I was like, oh, I need to get out of here, right? So my first thought process was get away from here, get away from the wall. And I go to walk down the track and one of them grabs me and pulls me back. And I realize I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't be walking down the track. What am I doing? And here, sure enough, here comes IndyCars. So they actually saved me in that situation too, where they grabbed me before I almost just got smoked by the leaders coming down, coming down the track. Cause I was just trying to get away from the car. You know, I've heard of a lot of ways for a leader to throw away a race win, but hitting the guy walking away from his car down the track is not one I've seen. And hopefully I'd never see, but um definitely the safety crew is 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 on an indycar but you got to watch them um the other thing that uh freddie you can probably answer this on the cup side but sometimes like when we got the sweepers out under yellow like (laughs) you've got to be heads up about where some of these things are moving to because they maybe don't have the best communication or the best people talking to them and like i mean bourdais was leaving the pits at phoenix one day and you know, luckily i looked ahead i'm like dude back it up back it up back it up because the sweeper was decided just to take a left yeah, we actually have uh, Mike Phillips is one of the longer tenured uh, officials up in the race control, and he does an amazing job c- kind of coordinating the cleanup crews and stuff. But we uh, we had a near miss at Phoenix, not, uh, you know, whatever it was, two, three weeks ago. Uh, they had a, a big wreck. I think it was, I want to say maybe Riley Herbst or somebody went up and spun out on entry to three and kind of pounded the wall, and they were trying to get a, a cleanup truck to him quickly as the field's coming by as we had just taken the yellow and there was a little gap in front of Landon Castle who I was spotting for and Landon unfortunately keyed up and he was breaking down as soon as I said yellow he started keying up and started talking about what the car's doing and how it needs to be better and stuff and obviously while he's talking I can't talk and I kind of knew that we had such a gap in front of us that they were going to try to you know scoot the cleanup trucks in front of us and Landon just never keyed up never let off the button and I'm like this is going to get big and luckily, he got a slow down time where we just about T-boned the, the cleanup truck driving in front of us. But it wasn't nothing did wrong. It was just kind of a bad timing deal where I knew there was a hole in front of us that, that they were going to try and fill. But, yeah, Mike Phillips does a great job in the Cup Series and really all three series of kind of coordinating the cleanup crews and, and you know, keeping them guys safe as well as keep us safe. Uh, on, on that note, David Hunt, you're in the IMSA uh, race control when your schedule permits and you're actually the guy on the radio you're the communication guy from race control you know to the to the teams in pit lane the spotters and everybody else what's it like been for you transitioning to that role coming from the spotter stand man i tell you what i underestimated it completely and kevin kind of to answer your question a little bit more like i've been on the competition side my whole life and now i'm seeing things on the operation side um, namely in race control. And I, I really, I always receive, I was a receiver of the information through the headset, but I was, I never knew where it came from. So kind of to go back to your question, the way this works, especially on a road course is the corner marshals are your eyes and ears on the ground. They see something, hear something, they report it up into race control to a marshals communicator. And that marshals communicator will then just say into the room, you know, for my benefit, we've got a car off in seven. And that gets me queued up to look for it on the cameras or wait for more information. Then it's my job over the radio to say, turn seven, turn seven. We've got a car off driver's left, turn seven. And track services or safety vehicles are also monitoring that channel. So they're already standing up and ready in case, you know, if if a car's disabled or augered into the wall and can't get out, we're going to have to go red. They know that they're going to have to go. Or if it was a big hit or big accident, they they're monitoring all this communication uh, between the ground and race control. So that's how the, the safety team usually gets that information, especially on road courses. But 
you know, Wheeler, for me, it's it's been an amazing journey to learn what happens on the back end of this stuff. And now, you know, I've tried to change some things um, to make information more relevant for for competitors because I, I was guilty. I would turn down race control if it got too gabby at times because I was trying to hear what my team was going to do, right, as a, as a spotter. Um, but, you know, that information comes from race control is really, really pretty vital. So it's been, an, you know, for me, delivering the information calmly and clearly is the easy part. I can do that. It's learning all the rules, procedures, penalties, communicating with pit lane. Uh, there are so many moving parts behind the scene during the race in real time. It's just like spotting. You're having to process a ton of information, communicate out what's relevant, and kind of keep track of all the moving parts, whether it's safety, corner marshals, um, track services, all that good stuff. It's it's really pretty amazing to see it all at work. That's a good – that's a – it's a hell of an answer there, David, and, and uh, very detailed, which is why I love you so much. Um, all right, we have two more guest questions tonight before we wrap this up. Davin, you're up first, buddy, and meet yourself. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Been a long time since I talked to some of you folks. It, it has. You've, you've been on quite the journey since we last saw you at a racetrack. Yeah, I've been doing everything but racing, and then I got sucked back into this racing stuff, messing around with boats. Got me spotting one of those right now. Boat spotting, how does that happen? Um, well, when you do offshore boat racing, it gets pretty tricky because trying to find something that is that much higher, like a spotter's stand, just doesn't exist. So you're trying to bribe hotel officials, whoever you can, to try to get you a good angle. It's pretty fun. Like, are you yelling, dolphin? I mean, you know, are you having to call out uh, the marine life, too? Or uh, plus the other boats? I-, I need to know more here. This is fascinating. So, uh, luckily for, so I'm spotting an OPA and APBA and they actually will run a helicopter across the beach and make sure that there's no wildlife that we're potentially going to run over. And then, uh, we can't start our race until they've given us the blessing from the sky. And then, uh, and then we'll go run our, our brackets. And it's pretty much just the other boats, sadly. So. That's got to be different. Um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to go down and do like the Baja 500 or the, do the thousand from the helicopter. I always thought that'd be awesome. But boats are not something that I've ever actually thought of. But, uh, Dav, glad to hear you're doing good. Um, Alley Cat, if, uh, if you're on there, unmute yourself and welcome to the show. I'm on. Thank you so much for allowing me to, to speak. Uh, first off, I want to say I'm glad that Kyle Kirkwood's okay. And I don't really have any questions, but I do have a comment. Uh, first comment is, I respect what the other person was saying earlier about marshals and being in race control. I'm a marshal myself. I'll actually be working at the SCCA race this weekend. Uh, so uh, without marshals, racing can't happen anywhere in the world. And also, as far as the AMR safety team for IndyCar, I feel that uh, they're the best in the world at what they do. I've been watching IndyCar since 1995. And I've seen the safety team, especially in Indianapolis, they are so good at what they do. They literally will get to the car. Their, their truck is moving before the race car even comes to a stop at the speedway. So big shout out to them. And uh, that's really all I wanted to say. So thank you very much for that time. Yeah, well, thank you for being a marshal. Like David Hunt said earlier, man, without the marshals at a lot of these levels, you know, we can't do what we do. And, um, and one final question popped up 
Drive It In Deep. Love the name. Welcome to the show. Drive It In Deep. Did you drive in too deep? Lose your mute button? Oh, man. Drive It In Deep is going to miss it. Uh, Marshall Pruitt, what are your thoughts here as we wrap this this special edition of Hashtag Race for Family Show up? I have no thoughts. What do you do? Come on. Uh, and I did like the comment that motor racing can't happen without marshals. It makes me feel like I got a little bit of job security. Oh, uh, here we go. Scott no, brother. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't talking about idiots like me. He was talking about the real marshals who, uh, the corner marshals, track workers, the volunteers. Uh, and I know I don't want to sound like the total Homer guy here, but like, wow, you remove the SCCA or whatever body that is, uh, the, the volunteers, the infrastructure, uh, doing the flagging and the registration and so many other things that just your average motor race each weekend and the whole thing collapses. So yeah, we're just in a permanent state of, of debt and thanks, uh, to those who do truly take time off work, volunteer to do these things, to get out and get rained on or super hot and humid, whatever it is, all for, you know, uh, a free sack lunch and maybe some beers at the end of the day. But yeah, great appreciation for, uh, for all those who make this stuff possible. What I can tell you, Wheeler, is this is awesome. And this is one of the things you and I spoke about when we were thinking about doing this silly little show, uh, this little hashtag racing family experiment. And that's just bringing on our friends from the industry to let them be their awesome selves and to tell stories and let uh, the fans of the sport who are our people, uh, again, just listen in on the fun stuff that we talk about and we hear, you know, whether it's you sitting up in the uh, uh, spotter stand, me on pit lane wandering around bugging people or whatever it is. This is exactly what you and I wanted for the show, and I love that we've added a clearish as something we'll do whenever uh, you're in the mood to get folks together. And uh, I'm going to come up with more of these themes, too. Like, I want to get some racing photographers on here, if not next week, maybe the following going into Long Beach. Get some of the good IndyCar photographers, uh, independent photographers, sports car photographers on to tell folks what they do, how they do it. If you're going to be going to Long Beach and you have a... Uh, a digital camera. Maybe here's a place to check out. Here's a technique to try. So anyways, just an appreciation for you, our guests, our listeners. Uh, love love uh, what we've got going on here, brother. It's good. The big girl, Brett, Jason, David, Freddie, Kyle Kirkwood. Anybody got any thoughts here as we, as we wind this thing up? I just want to say I certainly appreciate you having us on, myself on. And uh, I had uh, as much fun listening to everybody else. And I will, I'm definitely going to tune back in. I certainly appreciate that. Wheeler, Marshall, thanks for having us on. I was just packing my bags and tuned in and didn't expect to join in, but thanks for having us on. Yeah, I appreciate it. I was just, I was just really happy to hear Earl's voice again. I haven't heard it in a couple months. So that's, that's really all I signed up for, but appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, Marshall. Uh, I'm sure I'll be back from time to time. Oh yeah. Well, at least Earl knows who we are on this racing family Twitter space. You know, I, I saw him first thing at the at Texas, and I yelled at him. He was walking a dog, 
and he didn't even acknowledge me, not at all. So, good camera crews, bro. <laughs> Wheeler does that to me all the time, Brent. So yeah. trust me, it's it, it's it's a virus going around, Mister Wheeler. It's it's time. It's time for you, for those who haven't heard it, for one of the epic show closings from Christopher Wheeler, Esquire, CEO of Broken Management, the number one driver management firm for those who can't get a ride anywhere until Christopher Wheeler steps in and gets them something. So take <laughs> us home, my brother. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marshall. Once again, Earl, Brent, Kyle, David, Jason, Freddie, Hench, who was on here earlier in the Robbie Fast that we're missing. Thank you guys for joining us. All of our fans and followers, we really appreciate you liking it, sharing it, and tuning in. Um, lately, we've been on a bit of a kick here in our closings and talking about just being positive in the, in the world in general, being kind and never give up on your dreams. And in the spirit of tonight, I'm going to reiterate something my, my parents taught me a lot when I was a kid, or at least tried to teach me, and I probably didn't realize it early enough in life, but it's not what you say, but how you say it. And I think that everybody here can attest to that from our profession, that it's not what you say, but how you say it. And it's, and it's the, you know, how we do our job, but that's something to take back to your everyday life. And when you're talking to somebody you don't know or somebody you love, just remember that folks, it's not what you say, but how you say it. And uh, just be clear with your communication because it's the key to success in most aspects of life. On that note for myself, I'm Chris Wheeler and my esteemed co-host, Marshall Pruitt, thanks for tuning into the Hashtag Racing Family Show. We will see you again. We want to thank you for joining us. Check us out on Monday. Check us out at MarshallPruittPodcast.com. For our sponsors, Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com, thank you for everything you do for us and everybody in the world. And until next time, folks, we will see you later.